the movie drops on the 8th. Yes. So we have to watch it the 8th. Yes. I am off of work the 8th. I am so, too. So if we thought that we could both watch it oh, and Martha. record the I, same day. Martha, I believe in us. I think we can do this. <laughs> You're listening to Love Ya, your guided tour through the wide, wide world of streaming teenage rom-coms. I am one of your co-hosts, Martha Sullivan, teen librarian and YA literature expert, and I am joined, as always, by my other co-host. I'm Marin Hagman, um, adult services librarian and rom-com expert. And today, in honor of having completed 10 episodes of this show, uh, this is our official 11th episode, we are, taking a, uh, we are taking a trip to the past to look at the movie that arguably started it all, uh, the John Hughes original 16 Candles. Uh, 16 Candles came out in 1984. Um, which is the first makes it the first of the John Hughes uh, teen movies that he directed. It stars Molly Ringwald, Anthony Michael Hall, Justin Henry, Michael Schofling, Haviland Morris, Gede Watanabe, Paul Dooley, Carlin Glynn, Blanche Baker, among others. Uh, written and directed by John Hughes, uh, this movie is about Samantha, who wakes up on the morning of her 16th birthday, which is also the day before her sister's wedding, to find out that her entire family has, in fact, forgotten that it is her birthday. Uh, this starts off one of uh, possibly the worst days of her life, as she... Uh, struggles through a day that she wanted very much to be special, only to find that it is not, um, or at least not in the ways that she expects. Um, she has a uh, crush on a cute high school senior who has never even heard of her. Um, her grandparents bring a racist caricature to her house for the wedding. Uh, she goes to a dance that ends in a disastrous party. Um, but all of this uh, wraps up on the day of her sister's wedding. After uh, after the ceremony is complete, um, she gets a chance to actually celebrate her birthday with a cake brought to her by her crush, a very cute boy named Jake. So I don't have a huge amount of experience with John Hughes. I watched The Breakfast Club for Did You Do Your Homework, my other podcast, side plug. Um, but that's pretty much... Oh, and I've seen Ferris Bueller's Day Off, which I always forget is a John Hughes movie. Yeah. Um, because it doesn't star Molly Ringwald, which is kind <laughs> of a bummer. I thought she was lovely in this movie. Um, yes. But... I so this was my first time watching this movie and it was very interesting I will say to see a lot of the things that we kind of take for granted now as being like the bones of a lot of these teen movies that we watch because 
this is probably where they started. Yeah, a lot of them. And in some ways it suffers from that, I'm going to describe it this way because I think you'll know what I'm talking about, the um, John Carter of Mars problem. Where, so John Carter um, was, at the time of its publication, a really innovative fantasy series. But by the time they got around making a movie of it, um, in 2012, it felt, like, outdated. Because, like, it had created a lot of the things um, that got used um, in other movies and material. Um, and at its time, it was very much, okay, I guess the books came out in 1912. So when these books came out in 1912, they were very innovative. And by the time, 100 years later, they made a movie of it, um, it felt less so. So in some ways, um, this movie feels a little like that, where like going back and watching it, you're like, Ah, oh, wow, this, hmm. Um, you know, when you step back and realize, like, oh, yeah, this created a lot of things. Like, um, I think this was, like, probably the original high school party scene. Uh. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so, for our listeners, there is a scene where... Um, a bunch of teenagers go back to Jake, the uh, the high school senior who Sam uh, has a crush on. He, they go back to his house uh, at the behest of his terrible girlfriend, Caroline, and just get very drunk and basically destroy his house. Yeah. So, I mean, I think there's definitely a, a through line from... 16 Candles to, for some reason, the most recent incarnation of that scene I'm thinking of is actually in the Amy Poehler and Tina Fey movie Sisters, where they, like, parody it, because they talk about, like, the parties they used to have. Um, I haven't seen that. I did recently, or I did see Booksmart over the summer, where they had a house party scene. Okay. Um, I have yet to see that, although... I know I should. It's it's wonderful. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I feel like I've heard nothing but good things. Um, but yeah. So we get to see we get to see the house party. We it does not. I will say this movie doesn't end with prom or homecoming, but there is a (laughs) dance sequence in it. Um. Weirdly, it ends with a wedding which is not super common for teen uh teen movies but it's not a teen getting married so uh, it is um, her older sister who i am not clear how old her older sister is i don't think it matters yeah i just kind of wish i knew yeah <laughs> um but we see we see a lot of uh high school kind of archetypes presented as uh personalities like the the geeks are one-dimensional geeks don't have a whole lot going on there um basically if you're not if you're not molly ringwald you don't really get to have a personality in this movie (laughs) 
I would say, I feel like they actually, weirdly enough, I think the only place where they do do some actual, like, getting beyond caricature, um, besides Molly Ringwald, are her parents. I actually, like, honestly, my favorite scenes in the film were between Molly Ringwald and, um, her parents, um... Her dad does get a great scene at the end of the day when he comes down. Because that, that's when he apologizes for missing her birthday, right? Yeah, and that's honestly my yeah. favorite scene in the movie. Um, there's a scene where her dad, like, wakes her up. So she has been relegated to sleeping, not even on the spare bed. Like, she is kicked out of her bedroom. She is kicked out of the spare bed in her little brother's bedroom. She has been relegated to sleeping on the sofa. Um... And her dad, like, has figured out that they all missed her birthday and, like, wakes her up on the sofa to be, to apologize and say, oh, my goodness, I'm so sorry. We went through the whole day yesterday without um, acknowledging your birthday. Um, and that that is honestly probably my favorite scene in the whole movie. Yeah, mm-hmm. I like that scene a lot. I'll, I'll tell you right now. The movie that this most reminded me of that we have watched recently mm-hmm. was Tall Girl. Oh, yeah? Um, we have a diva older sister. Yeah. We have parents who don't always do the right thing but are essentially thoughtful and caring individuals. Yes. We have a racial caricature, although I think in Sixteen Candles it's much more egregious. Oh, yeah. So nice. Um. I was going to say, we're about to spend a hundred <laughs> years talking about um, yeah. Long Duck Dong. <laughs> um, oh my god. We have, a, we have a, a main character who has, like, one defining... Like, I, I, I'm not... She, she's got, like, one defining trait for the sake of the movie, which is not to say that Sam's personality is just, today is my 16th birthday, but that's what the, the movie is kind of leaning on. Mm-hmm. Um, and for for a lot of this movie, because I had never seen it and I did not know how it ended, uh, or I, I knew it ended with a candle or a, a cake with 16 candles on it. Um, I thought Anthony Michael Hall was the one who gives her the cake. Oh, that would so, have been a very different movie. Yes, but so I was watching a lot of it thinking about the short friend from Tall Girl because I think that those guys are pretty close analogs to each other. Sure. Um, but yeah, so so I thought that it was it was clear to me at least that Tall Girl was borrowing very heavily from the structure of this movie. But then I don't know if it was specifically borrowing from Sixteen Candles or if a lot of these things have just become like part of the teen movie like culture yeah but that was interesting to me yeah i mean yeah it is interesting to see how like these tropes get yeah well actually no we could just say recycled like Mm -hmm. reused borrowed repurposed yeah. yeah So how about that Chinese exchange? <laughs> oh my god! Um, that there was there were a couple of cringeworthy things in this movie. That one though, I think is the worst. Yeah, yeah. Because there's no real 
purpose for it. No, and that's what... That's what's, like, so mind-boggling about it. It's like, you think... You know, it made me think about Breakfast Activities and yes. Mickey Rooney's character in that. Um, and I feel like between when did Breakfast Activities come out, like 1960, um, let me look, 1961. And it just made me think for a second, like, wow, did no one learn anything between 1961 and 1983? Like, yeah, that part that part made me think a lot about the kind of Porky's type humor that we in general have kind of all agreed is really gross and not actually funny. Yeah. But was but was very much a product of the time the movie was made. Like this feels like a relic from like when racial Caricatures were like acceptable comedy. Yeah. Which well, I don't want to excuse it because it's real gross, but I, I do feel that that is probably a very good example of something that at the time was considered sort of comedically appropriate. And now we can all agree that it's like, ooh, no, no. Yeah. Um, but I mean, even. Do you think I'm giving him too much credit? Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at, like, even Roger Ebert and his review was like, yeah, this is potentially offensive. Oh, all right. Uh, This is a case where I am more than happy to be overruled because it's real gross. And, like, the New York Times review, who was written by someone I don't know. Although, again, Roger Ebert did say that while praising the actor's performance... He was like, yeah, the writing was really bad there, but, like, the actor gave it his all. Um, but yeah, yeah the, I mean, at least it's not an, at least it is not a white actor in yellow face. That is true. That is true. Um, um, yeah, and I guess the New York Times was, like, commented on it, um, called it a stupid subplot, um, but, yeah, but I think that was one where in, like, at the time it was probably worth a, like, ooh, well, there's now we see it and we're like, oh. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it is certainly something that, like, at the time would not have been as immediately, like, I think understood as um, offensive. Um, I will say it is very close to a gag from the first and second seasons of the Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, which is a very current show. Um, but she, uh, Kimmy Schmidt is going to some, I don't remember what college class it is. Maybe it's to get her GED. I don't remember, but there is a. There's a Korean gentleman in her class whose name is Dong Nguyen. And there are some extremely regrettable jokes about his name in that show. Yeah. So so this this may not be a kind of humor that we have totally grown out of, even though I wish that we would. That is a, a point well taken. 
a point well taken. Um, yeah, because cause that was only in 2015. Yikes. Yeah, they're about. So how did we feel about this movie? Like, what was it? What was it like for us to? Like, what was your experience? Yeah, and I will say, so unlike you, I I had certainly seen this movie before. Um, probably not since high school or college. Um, and I do not have the same fondness for this movie, like nostalgic fondness that I do for The Breakfast Club or Pretty in Pink, or some kind of wonderful. Like, those are John Hughes movies that I, like, very much grew up with and watched a bunch and have a lot of nostalgia for. Well, there's this was just one that was, like, around. Um, so I think I was a lot more cognizant of, like, all the ways in which, you know, the movie treated um, Long Duck Dong terribly and also... Um, Jake Ryan's, over the course of the movie, ex-girlfriend, Caroline, terribly. That Um, was rough. Yeah. Um, So I think, like, as a younger viewer, I just didn't, like, process how icky those components were. Um, And it's unfortunate, because I feel like there's a very good movie in there in the storyline of Samantha and her parents and grandparents and brother and sister. Like, I felt like the more time the movie spent... Like, the movie was strongest when it was spending its time with Samantha's family and exploring how lost she felt within her family as... You know, her sister's getting married and her, you know, her birthday is being forgotten and she's kind of been overshadowed. Like, I feel like that those parts really held. Um, like, especially one of my favorite little moments was a scene in the kitchen with both of her grandmothers. And one of the grandmothers is starting to cook breakfast and the uh, other offers to help. But it becomes clear she doesn't know how to cook. She does not know how to cook. (laughs) So then she has a great moment where she looks at the stove, looks away, looks at the counter and says, well, I'll unpack the donut. Um, And that reminded me so much of the dynamic between my two grandmothers that I laughed so hard. (laughs) That scene was incredible. Um, that was such a good moment. And, like, I wanted more of that. I was, like, really disappointed that kind of in all of this, I think, trying to be edgy, trying to tell, like, a story about drunk high schoolers, this very lovely story of a family dynamic um, got lost. Um, so that was that was my big takeaway. I will say I found this to be a more enjoyable watch experience than The Breakfast Club. Oh, really? That surprises me. Tell me why. I thought that, first of all, I thought Molly Ringwald was way more likable in this movie than any of the characters in The Breakfast Club. Mm, yeah. Um, I thought that she even though a lot of the other students kind of get whittled down to like an archetype or a stereotype, I 
really enjoyed the movie's kind of exploration of her internal awkwardness and mm. like how she related to her family, how she was relating to her friends um, and kind of her like journey from feeling the disappointment and the sting of having her birthday forgotten to just being like, because by, by the time she gets to the dance, she is a little bit like, F all of this. Yeah. Um, which I found to be a very relatable journey. Like, you just get tired of being disappointed. Yeah. And at a certain point, it's like, I'm, I'm going to... I can either wallow forever in my self-pity or I can, like, turn it into... Uh, or I can like move on from it yeah. because I did, I did feel that by the time she was having the conversations with her parents, she, she tells them she's not mad anymore. And I do believe her. Yeah. I, I don't think she's sitting on any like simmering resentment. <laughs> and I, I liked that she wasn't like petty about it. Like she was very much just like, Oh, Oh, you know, like... Yeah, because it is, it's awful, like, to have your birthday forgotten by everyone in your family, like, that sucks. But I did also, I think the movie did a really good job of kind of showing what the rest of her family is also dealing with, so, like, it's it's understanding without forgiveness, I think, so, like, I understand why her mom would have forgotten her birthday, mm -hmm. while also still being, like how could you, like how dare you um but I, I could at least come to a place of understanding about it mm -hmm. which i i do think also sam has by the end of the movie um i also i did kind of i did kind of fall for the the cake scene at the end it is very thought, sweet even though i had a lot of trouble throughout the entire movie understanding what was happening in Jake's brain. Yeah. <laughs> because as far as I can tell, Jake is a senior who decides that his girlfriend is too messy and then is like, this other girl is cute. And uh, apparently wants to sleep with me. So. <laughs> and so I am just going to, you know, Close the door yeah. on my ex-girlfriend so her hair gets caught in it. And that was I don't know. The movie worked the movie worked a little too hard to make Caroline into a mess. Right. So so that we would be sympathetic when Jake is like I have known about Sam's existence for twelve hours. Clearly I should Although I loved the moment of even drunk or even John Hughes had to put in a moment of like drunk girls are just the best to each other where I yeah. love, I love that moment where Carolyn's hair is trapped in the door and she tries to get Jake to open the door back up, but she's like too incoherent to like knock on the door. Um, and some of these other girls who are also very drunk decide instead of opening the door for her, they cut her hair off. They're gonna cut her hair off. <laughs> oh god, I watched that. I was like, oh honey, oh in the in the world of things you're about to regret. <laughs> oh 
Oh, that did make me laugh so hard. And I was just like, because, you know, there's that whole meme of, like, drunk girls in the bathroom are the best, you know? Which is something I have experienced in my life of just, like... It is. Oh, yeah. It's fully true. Oh, yeah. Like, truly, like, a, a women's bathroom at a bar or a club at a certain time of night is, like, truly a sacred space of just, like, females empowering each other. And I love it. Um... So I just love that there was their that was their reaction of like we're gonna get you out of this and our solution is to cut off your hair, like girl I we got you. Well, and I did appreciate that one of them double checks with her before they do it. Yes, yes. She's like, are are you sure? Oh, oh, oh this is definitely one of my favorite moments of the film. Oh. So normally at this point in the show, we would turn our turn our hands to a little bit of rom-com rehab uh, to talk about how we would fix the movie that we, if, if we were feeling particularly like we had not enjoyed it, how we would fix it. Uh, because this one is a little bit of a different animal, I thought we would do something a little bit different. I thought we would go through the tropes that this movie presents and discuss which ones we are glad that John Hughes has introduced into the lexicon of teen movies and which ones we would excise from the history of teen movies. Okay. The big one that I would remove from our uh, teen rom-com vernacular is geek as a personality. Um... And I even think, like, geek who is desperately trying to be cooler than Or they horny are. geek, maybe? Yeah. Geek... Maybe... Okay. Because, alright. I self-identified as a geek in high school. Like, I'm not saying that geek is a bad thing to be. The thing... The particular flavor of geek that we see here that I think replicates frequently in teen movies that I could do without forever is geek is a personality trait that subs in for real human interaction. Like these, these geeks are geeks that not only don't know how to talk to girls, but don't know how to talk like humans. Yeah. Like they act like they have never seen another individual before. And I didn't know, I didn't know anybody that socially inept when I was in high school. Like even those of us who were, you know, in sci-fi and anime club and on stage crew and doing all of these really nerdy things all at one time, still had like socially acceptable uh, levels of inter- human interaction skills. So that particular one, I think, I would. Did you know John Cusack was in this movie? I did know that. Yes. I I didn't until I looked up the credits, and it's because he plays one of the geeks with no personality, except that he's a geek. Yes, I believe. Yes. Uh, so that's the kind. That's the kind of thing I'm talking about. Like the the geeks who exist to be like, ew, look at the nerds. Get rid of them. I don't like it. Yeah. I mean. What's funny is that, you know, pretty shortly after this, John Hughes, or John Hughes, 
Um, John Cusack would go on to play Lloyd Dobler, um, who I feel like in many ways is the antithesis um, of that. Because, like, Lloyd Dobler's whole thing is, like, I'm not a popular kid at school, but I'm nice. Yeah. Um, well, and even, honestly, have you ever seen The Sure Thing? No. Okay. Um... Sorry. No, it's okay. Um, I, to be honest with you, don't know why I have seen The Sure Thing, but I have. Um, and it was a movie that um, John Cusack made pretty soon after this, uh, where instead of being set at high school, it's set at college. And his character kind of goes through the opposite arc of Anthony Michael Hall's character. Um, where his character realizes that, like, oh, I don't want to bang girls just to say I banged girls. Um, and it's actually kind of lovely. I appreciate that. Anyway, so I appreciate that after being in this movie, John Cusack went out and found two movies that were, like, the opposite of this. So. Yes. This has been your John Cusack appreciation moment, brought to you today by Marin Hagman. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think that would be a great trope to excise. I would excise the whole thing with getting girls underwear. Where did that start? Yes. Why is that a thing? Who Why needs is that a that? thing? Absolutely not. Just, no. Be rid of it. Who did that in high school? Like, what is this? Like, is this some kind of sick, twisted Frank Capra like, through a funhouse mirror? Like, I don't understand. Uh, related, I would get rid of bets to have sex with girls. Yes. Is that, do people, did, I'm sure that people do that, but it's gross and I don't like it, and I don't like, it always makes for, like, it always makes for really, predictable and terrible drama when they use it as a dramatic beat and when they use it as a comedic beat it's just disgusting yeah like there's like yeah. no good way to do it so get rid of that one yep. i would keep i would keep using a high school dance as a climactic interaction moment <laughs> because i think that high school dances are the perfect like microcosm of uh sort of teen behavior and they are also frequently one of the places where met multiple people from different social groups are totally comfortable like hanging out and interacting together so they're a good nexus point for yeah. a variety of different characters yeah I think that's a good I mean it's a yeah it's just also such a good marker of time like, just within the logistics of, like, there's, like, a cultural understanding of, like, when those things happen in the school year. So, I feel like that's a good, like, shorthand. Mm-hmm. Um. What else would I do? I would also, I don't know, this might be a little more controversial, but I, like, and maybe this is because we grew up in the aughts. Where I feel like maybe this was less common. And actually, I, I think there's some empirical evidence to suggest that it was. But I would I would get rid of the trope of, like, 
house-destroying rangers in high school. Like Yes. Like, I'm certain, and I did not go to them, not to sound snobby, I just, like, didn't. That's not what I was into in high school. But, like, I'm pretty sure there were some rangers that destroyed fields in my high school. And this uh-huh. might also be a product of, like, growing up in a rural area. But, like, I don't think anybody's house ever got destroyed. <laughs> yeah. And also, I the only thing I can think about whenever I see those scenes is, like, what happens when the parents come home and right. see them? <laughs> And sometimes that's included in the movie and sometimes it's not, but it's all I can think about. Right? Like, that's all I was thinking about, too, with Anthony and Michael Hall in that car. I was just like, oh my god, what is gonna happen when Jake's dad finds out that he has his car? Um, one I would keep that I think this movie did really well that I enjoyed is the, um, like, family routines in the morning. I feel like a lot of this movie's most charming scenes were like when the family was getting ready. Mm-hmm. Um, so like the kind of dance around the bathroom, um, as well as the breakfast scene, which we already mentioned. Uh huh. Yeah, I I think that's a solid trope for a teen movie. Yeah, I I enjoyed the sort of I don't know if this counts as a trope. But um, there are a couple of movies that do it. I enjoy that the whole movie takes place in about 24 hours. Yeah. It reminded me of... What's the Jennifer Love Hewitt movie where the whole thing takes place at, like, one end of school year party? Oh, my God. What is that called? Um, Okay, I have to look this up now. I've totally seen this movie. I will know it as soon as I see it. Can't Hardly Wait. Yes, it reminded me of Can't Hardly Wait. Yes. And also, Booksmart, which I apparently can't stop talking about. Oh, please I'm pretty stop. Sure I've, I'm pretty sure I've already recommended it at the end of one of our episodes, but just consider this to be a continuing recommendation for everybody to watch uh, Booksmart. Yeah. Um, I thought her annoying younger sibling was actually on the funnier side of yeah. annoying younger siblings. <laughs> like, that felt authentic to me. I also appreciated that the parents were also horrified. They didn't just, like, shush them off. They were like, stop being annoying, man. <laughs> like, Yeah. I was like, thank you. I appreciate when, like, in these movies when parents actually parent. Um, and I enjoyed similar to, I think, Tall Girl that, like, we had moments of discovering that her vapid older sister was not really that vapid. Uh-huh. And I thought one of the funnier sequences in the movie where it turns out, although this was, like, one of those, like, oh, my God, you know this was written by a man. Um, she took four muscle relaxers uh, <laughs> after getting her period on her wedding day. Which, yes, this, this sounds like brought to you by the same people who sent, like, 5,000 tampons into space, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that was pretty funny, though, like, watching her sister, like, be so out of it 
on her wedding day, but also, like, very endearingly so. Just like, oh, I'm trying. Um, and it was a nice, like, kind of breaking of the stereotype of, like, oh, this beautiful, perfect older sister. I was like, well, you know, she's a human being, too. Yeah. So, I guess the the sibling bonding tropes. Yeah. I thought the, the sibling relationships in general in this movie were very good. Yeah, definitely some of the stronger scenes. I wish... Summary of this movie for me, more sibling, more family, less Anthony Michael Hall. So much less. I could have entirely lost the end of his story arc when he drives a very drunk Caroline home. Oh, yeah. That whole sequence was terrible. (laughs) Yeah, that was just so beyond the pale. Like... I I don't even know how that passed muster in 1984. I mean, it's it's edgy humor without being explicit. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I don't know. I didn't like it, but it also doesn't surprise me that this was in a movie in the 80s. Um, so where do we fall on this one? I... I don't know that I ever have to watch it again, but I'm glad that I did. Okay. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> a fairly lukewarm reaction, but... Uh... Well, and I'm glad at least you enjoyed it more than The Breakfast Club. I did. I, I also thought it had more of a story than The Breakfast Club. That's true. Yeah, I, I, I almost feel like I... I do think that it suffers from John Carter of Mars syndrome in that if I was going to recommend a a teen movie to somebody, I think I would err on something more recent necessarily than going back into the vault for this one. Yeah. I think that's entirely reasonable. Speaking of recommendations... Uh, do you have anything to recommend to our for our audience today? Yeah, I so kind of in keeping the spirit, I feel like I have tried to stick to kind of more book recommendations and more like romance novel recommendations. Um, so the romance novel that this movie made me think of is uh, The Viscount Who Loved Me, or actually I think it's properly pronounced The Viscount Who Loved Me by Julia Quinn. Um, which is the second in her Bridgerton series, um, who there will soon be its own show uh, debuting on Netflix, which I will probably be talking about for forever. Um, And it is about, the reason I thought of it with this movie is it is about a sibling who finds herself overlooked by her beautiful, in this case, younger stepsister, um... And the whole plot is basically she is trying to protect her stepsister from ill-meaning men who, like, are just seeing her looks. Um, And in the process, um, finds herself falling in love with one of the dudes who is purportedly courting her stepsister. 
So, but yeah, it's just some of those similar dynamics of like family and, um, you know, feeling forgotten within your family. So yeah, The Viscount Who Loved Me by Julia Quinn. I am going to recommend a movie that I do not think we are likely to do on this podcast, but I enjoy for all of the ways it hangs uh, John Hughes movies out to dry. Um, And that is not another teen movie. (laughs) Which is a 2001 parody of everything that we have talked about today. Uh, and was also the film debut for Chris Evans. Oh, I didn't know that. Right? Huh. Um, but anyway, I uh, I find it to be a very charming satire of a bunch of different ridiculous teen movie tropes. Um, and is actually an interesting pairing to watch alongside a John Hughes movie because a lot of what they are... Uh, satirizing comes from John Hughes. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm going with, uh, going with not another teen movie tonight. Excellent. We will be back in two weeks to talk about a brand new hot off the presses so new that as of listening to this episode it is not available to watch yet (laughs) uh netflix original let it snow which will be available on netflix starting on november 8th so that will be our uh that'll be our next um our next feature uh, and until then, until our audience rejoins us, where can they find you, Marin? Um, So you can find me on Twitter at A underscore star underscore danced, uh, where I tweet a whole lot about um, rom-coms, romance novels, maps, Minnesota, urban planning, shenanigans. This week, because it's Halloween, candy. Uh, so, if you enjoy any of those things, feel free to give me a follow. Uh, and you can find me on all the places at Magical Martha. Uh, most recently, I have been tweeting out a horror book recommendation for every day in October. Uh, and also screaming a lot about how excited I am for the upcoming His Dark Materials TV show. Ooh. Uh, yes. <laughs> I have been re-listening to those books on audio. Um, which I, I revisit them once every couple of years. Uh, listeners of Did You Do Your Homework know that I have spoken many times about how important, with a capital I, those books have been to me. So I am, I am deeply thrilled about this, uh, about this TV adaptation. Um, but you can follow the podcast... Uh, under the banner of our sister podcast, Did You Do Your Homework? We can be found on all social media at DYDYH Podcast. Uh, you can find us on Facebook under the same name. You can listen to us wherever you would normally download your podcasts. And please, if you have been listening to us, leave us a review. Uh, the nicer, the better. 
it helps new people find our show and join our conversations about the ridiculousness and romantic charm of the wide, wide world of teen romantic comedies. Um, I also write a newsletter that comes out whenever I feel like it and usually ends up being about once a month. Uh, you can find that at tinyletter.com Magical Martha. And it's a lot about what I've been reading or watching or playing that is separate from the media I consume for these podcasts. We will see you in a couple of weeks. And until then, we love you. I so I would like for you I feel like at some point and certainly far down the road when we have less when you have taken some time off from John Hughes I I would love to hear your reaction to both pretty and pink and some kind of wonderful well I believe I promised you in the first episode of this show that we ever did that I would watch (laughs)